The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you and for the next half hour, as we always do Saturday mornings, a frank, open, honest conversation about gambling and gambling addiction. You know, some people gamble and they're never addicted to it. But for about 10% of the population that do start gambling, uh, there's that possibility that they are going to have a problem, as I did. And as Dan Trelauer did many, many years ago. Dan, of course, is with the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling and is now moving on uh, to... Uh, Bigger and not necessarily better things, but bigger opportunities career-wise as well with Epic Risk Management. Dan, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Craig. It's been a crazy week, but still doing well. So thank you for having me, as always. Yeah, and congratulations on uh, the uh, change of job. Uh, I know your work with the New Jersey Council never ends, but uh, congratulations on uh, the new opportunity with Epic as well. Yeah, thank you. You know, having the opportunity to work with an organization like Epic, uh, I'll be the vice president of prevention, not just for New Jersey, but for the entire United States, because we know gambling is a rapidly growing uh, form of entertainment. And that means more people are developing problems in more states. So having that opportunity to spread the word of prevention, harm reduction across the country is just a a great opportunity and a a welcomed, um, you know, chance to really see what we can do to help people before they become a problem, have a problem with it. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, and as each one of these states starts approving gambling that never had gambling before, there's going to need to be a council on compulsive gambling for them as well. Pennsylvania is a state that's had gambling for quite some time, and I frequented, I think, every casino in the state, unfortunately. And uh, their executive director for uh, PA's Council on Compulsive Gambling is Josh Urkel, who joins us this morning as well. Josh, good morning, and thank you. Good morning, Craig. Thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Sure. And, uh, I'm glad to be here. So I, I frequented the bricks-and-mortar casinos in your state, from uh, Valley Forge to the Poconos, to, uh, you know, Delaware River, to, uh, you know, the suburbs of Northeast Pennsylvania. Uh, I've not experienced, you know, the mobile gambling in Pennsylvania. Not that it's any different than any other state. But give me an idea and our audience an idea. Since the mobile gambling has been approved by the state of Pennsylvania, how much of an uptick have have you guys seen in the number of people that have called your hotline and have started to represent that they have a problem. Yeah, it's been it's been quite a significant two years or so now. Um, you know, we we got uh, a huge legislation passed back in 2017, and after a couple of years, we started to see the rollout of different types of new gaming. Um, this, you know, online sports, brick and mortar sports, online casino gaming, uh, and what we've found over the course of the you know the past two years, and now you know, we have to take COVID into consideration as well. Mm-hmm. But a significant shift in terms of uh, the, the callers that that are calling saying what their most problematic type of gambling is. Uh, we have we've had a significant shift in age, believe it or not. You know, we have a much younger uh, group who is representing the highest call frequency right now. Uh, and, you know, as we continue to see more and more uh, availability throughout the state, I mean, obviously now you don't have to go anywhere to, to gamble in a, in a mobile format, you know, as you may have done in the, in the past in a brick and mortar establishment. 
you know, now what we're starting to see is just more and more revenue combined with the amount of, of problem calls that we're getting. Do you think COVID resulted in an increase in gambling because you could just sit in your house on your phone or computer and do it? No doubt. You know, I, I think what we saw was um, we, we saw three things happen. We, we saw folks who were already established in the online world continuing to play because of, you name it, boredom, job loss. Uh, stress, anxiety, whatever the case. Then we saw brick-and-mortar gamblers switching over to the online format because that was their only chance. That was their only opportunity. Right. And then we also saw folks who never really gambled before starting to say, well, I have this free time. I have this, you know, all these different reasons why I can now do things like this because I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything else. So I'll try this out. And, you know, without, without being aware of some of the tools and the protections that are in place and maybe not having an understanding of how games work, you know, that's where we... Yeah, I think that's the bigger thing. And, Dan, you could jump in on this one as well. I don't think... This is just my sense. You know, by no means am I an expert or a therapist or in the world that you both live in. I don't think it's an issue of they're going to have a problem with being over their head just because they're able to put a couple bucks on something on their phone. I think it's the last thing you said. A lot of people that have never gambled before just have no idea how to gamble, right? Yeah, I agree with that. You know, they've... they've Especially when it's when you're able to reinforce it so quickly and it's at your fingertips and it's accessible, they've never been exposed to that type of gambling. So they don't know what to expect. They don't know how to gamble. Some of them don't even know how the games work. We, you know, we talked about this a number of weeks ago, Craig. There's games within games. And so it's this whole playground that they're kind of opened up to and exposed to. And it's new. It's exciting. It's fun. It's a way to pass time. And before you know it, you know, gambling is that intermittent reward schedule. It feels good. It's a way to escape your cocoon that you talked about, Craig. And, you know, they just don't know. It is brand new. It's like a shiny new car. You want to get out into it as much as you can. And before you know it, it's like, I've got to do this thing that makes me feel better. Yeah, and to me, that's why, you know, the marketing bothers me the most. And I'm, clearly, I'm not a prude. And I'm a, I'm a proponent. I think more legalized gambling is great. I have no issue with it. But I do have an issue with the marketing because – you know, the guy that gambled well before the legalization of online wagering is not the target market, in my opinion. It's people that never gambled before. And I say that, and I feel, I feel firm about it, because the marketing is not for guys like me. The marketing is for someone who never gambled before, who's enticed by the notion of, hey, if anybody swings a bat in tonight's baseball game, we're going to give you a hundred to one on your money. Like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Right. And especially younger, less mature people who are more likely to buy into that type of ruse. Yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, that, that's part of the problem. You're right. Cause the younger people don't see the harm. And that's why, you know, Josh and I work closely together and, and Josh, you can build on this. Like we, we talk to young people and they don't even see sports betting as betting. They see it as a fun time with friends and an easy way to make money. Because, of course, someone's going to swing a bat in a baseball game. So what's the risk? Exactly. You know, back, you know, back in the early 2000s when we saw the onset of World Series of Poker and kids playing poker in, in high school and, 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 and younger than that, you know, that was exactly it. You know, we heard stories about parents who weren't concerned because their kids, they knew they were safe. They were at home in the basement. They weren't drinking. They weren't out doing drugs. You know, and, and the whole time they're, they're developing some, some uh, you know, issue related to, to gambling or, or these poker games. I think the same thing's kind of going. They're growing up in an environment where not only are sports heavily publicized and heavily promoted and even pushed on kids, 
Um, but you know, the, the, the wagering is so closely tied in that it just becomes a, a blurred line as far as something that they should or shouldn't be aware of or know about or, or do. And yet, like Dan said, we, we talk to kids all the time and, and there are, you know, there's, there's a, a tremendous awareness of things like money lines and, and what the odds are in the game, because I mean, you can't, you can't turn on the TV anymore without seeing it. And, sure. and I'm not even talking about advertisements, but, you know, even watching, you know, different, uh, you know, different types of, of sports network shows, you, you, you always have that, that discussion about it. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, when you brought up uh, poker there, you know, for, for people that are just tuning in that, you know, are not history buffs on it, you know, the, the World Series of Poker has been on for 100 years, right? And it actually used to be televised way back in the day with Gabe Kaplan, the, uh, Mr. Cotter, uh, was the actual host of it. He was a big-time poker player, but nobody watched it. And then all of a sudden, I think it was about 20 years ago or so, a guy named Chris Moneymaker won the thing. Yep. And Chris Moneymaker represented me, you, the average guy that likes to play cards on a Friday night with his buddies. And it made it accessible. It made it, oh, wow, that guy won? I can win. And all of a sudden, you know, you know Texas Holden blew up and became a major event on multiple different networks. And, you know, I think the same thing is happening now with sports gambling because, A, the amount of commercials and ads are crazy. B, it's relatable. You know, my buddy does it. My dad does it. My sister does it. And I can do it from my home. Like, you know, it used to be a thought for some parents. Well, I'm not letting my you know, 20-year-old, I don't want him going to a casino because it's dirty. Well, now the casino's your living room, which makes it a lot easier uh, for guys to get into it because it's relatable. It's not icky. It's not dirty. It's not in the back alley. It's not a bookie. It's above board and all good, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the scary part because once it's socially acceptable, gambling has always been socially acceptable. When you have a situation where Chris Moneymaker wins, to your point, Craig, now, now I can win. I can be Chris Moneymaker. Not, not to mention his name was just, you know, perfect. Yeah. Mike Moneymaker, right? And, and, and now all of a sudden he represents the average Joe, right? Joes versus bros. You know, the average Joe can have a chance at this. And, and now you get odds boosts. You get line adjustments. I mean, there's so many different ways to gamble and bet. Bet in play. You know, open up a bet, close it out three minutes later, and open up something else. It's like combining deal or no deal with Howie Mandel and bringing it into the world of sports where you can take offers real time and then choose to close out your bet and open up something else. It almost shifts the thinking from gambling to more of a being a smart money manager and how to do it. And the skill gets so uh, skewed that people lose sight that it's gambling still. Well, we're going to get into more of this with uh, Josh Urko, the executive director of the Pennsylvania Council on Compulsive Gambling, and, of course, Dan Trelaro, who for many years was the assistant director of the New Jersey Council and is now with Epic Risk Management right after this on The Fan. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. All right, welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Uh, Josh and Dan uh, with me for another few moments here. Josh, walk me through Pennsylvania. What's the single biggest problem that uh, you guys uh, have coming into your, your call centers and lines? Is it... Uh, bricks and mortar games? Is it uh, mobile gaming? Is it sports? Is it something else? What's the number one uh, thing that you guys deal with on a daily basis? 
Yeah. So for years and years and years, Craig, um, you know, obviously we've had casinos in Pennsylvania. The first one opened in 2006 and almost immediately the calls that we started receiving for slot machine issues just absolutely skyrocketed and, and overtook uh, any past horse racing lottery, any type of calls that we were getting prior to that. And that's really the way things stood for the longest time uh, up until about April, May of last year. And that's where we saw Internet just absolutely explode. Uh, it, it rose at a, a meteoric level, uh, not to even be dramatic a little bit. And it stayed that way for a long time. We're just starting to see slot machines come back and, and kind of be in that top rank. But uh, the Internet problem calls are still exorbitantly higher than they were a year or two ago. And who's making the call? Is it the gambler themselves that calls you guys, or is it a loved one? So that's a good question, and it's it's interesting. You know, when we get the the, the helpline calls coming in straight uh, to the, the 1-800-GAMBLER number, which we use just like New Jersey uses, it's typically, in most cases, the individual who's calling. Um, now, when we get calls to the office directly, uh, that's somebody who has done research and looked up our number. They found our website and they came to, to um, you know, the, the contact information. That's typically not the person. That's in most cases a spouse or maybe a, a child or an adult, you know, a parent of, uh, of somebody who's struggling. So, you know, it's kind of interesting what we see. And, you know, I think, you know, I've, I've heard I've heard you talk about it and I've heard a lot of folks talk about the fact that, you know, that 800 gambler number being there, that's great and that's wonderful. But it's very likely not going to be something that folks use if they're you know, right. not in a really, really devastated um, manner. And, you know, when we look at the, the, per, the, the percentages, if, if you take percentages that you see in research studies, you said it yourself, 10 percent. Sometimes we see the more significant uh, numbers, you know, of, of two to three percent for, for more moderate to severe problems. Even the calls that we're getting in Pennsylvania, they're nowhere close to representing two to three percent of the adult population. It's sure. a fraction of that. So, you know, I think I think there's a, a lot of truth in what you're saying that, you know, for somebody to make that call, uh, it, it's really got to be at a point where. Yeah, that's why. And I said this a few weeks ago. I had this epiphany while we were doing the show. And this is just my opinion. I'm, I'm, it's not based on anything other than my opinion is that I think the marketing has to change for 800 Gambler. I think the marketing has got to be to the people that love the gambler because, and I'm just using my experience, and Dan, I think you'd agree with me on this, at the height of my compulsive gambling, I never would have picked up that phone, ever. It, it was never an option. I knew it existed. I was aware of it. I never would have called. But I think had my family, had my friends, the people that gave a crap about me, known or thought I had a problem, if they were aware that the phone number existed and, you know, what happened when you did call that number, I think it would have, I can't say I would have stopped for sure, but I think it would have uh, expedited possibly me getting the help I needed. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I think back to the times um, when I called 800 Gambler, you know, being a lifelong New Jersey resident, there were several times that I called 800 Gambler and I always called at like two in the morning. It was after a bad night was after the last dollar was gone, and I called that number so many times and hung up, called the number, hung up. And if I called and got resources, the next morning when I woke up, for myself as a gambler, I'd say, oh, today's a new day. I woke up. There's always an element of hope. I'm just going gonna, gonna to figure it out today. But when my best friend called 800-GAMBLER, he had found out I had a gambling problem. He called that number. First thing he said to them, he goes, I had no idea this resource was out here for people who know a gambler. 
And I think that, like, looking back to – that was the 2000, 2010, I guess it was. And that's eye-opening. And to this day, I mean, brand awareness is still something that Josh and I talk about and we struggle with because people associate 800Gambler as being Gamblers Anonymous. Right. And we are not – the councils are not Gamblers Anonymous. We will refer people to Gamblers Anonymous meetings, among other meetings, right? All roads lead to recovery. But we are not Gamblers Anonymous. So there's, for 38 years, the New Jersey Council has been around. There's always been this misconception about what is it that you do and what services do you provide? And having an opportunity like this and others around the state, we're, we're, we're slowly chopping those walls down. Josh, how does it work in Pennsylvania? Is there some type of state law that requires the uh, casino operators uh, to uh, earmark X amount of dollars uh, for groups like yours? Yeah, so legislation and regulations, that all mandates that casinos uh, do that. They, they have a fund that they have to contribute to that goes to problem gambling treatment and outreach and different types of prevention is it as Is it as low as New Jersey's where the, each casino operator's only got to write a $100,000 check? Uh, no, it's not that low. It, it's based on a percentage of gross terminal revenue. It so is, on okay. Basis, um, yep. you know, that much would go in. And, you know, obviously now that we have more types of gaming and more folks uh, participating in higher revenues, the hope is that that number is going to continue to increase so that services across the state can improve. And I know um, New Jersey's handle uh, outpaced Nevada for the first time ever. Uh, in Pennsylvania, how big an increase did you guys see the handle? And for those who don't know what I'm talking about, the, you know, I'm talking about gross revenue that comes in to the casino once they legalize sports wagering. Was it significant or no? Yeah, it was pretty significant. Uh, January of this year, we topped $600 million, which, um, you know, obviously sounds like a lot. But I think that same month, I think, uh, and Dan could correct me on this if, if I'm wrong, I think New Jersey was in the $900 million range. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, we, yeah, we've we're, been uh, those numbers. You know, this, this northeast corridor. I mean, it's it's certainly a, a hot spot for uh, for sports wagering and something that, that folks probably were doing in large capacity prior to the legalization. But you know, like we just talked about, now that it's here and it's available and it's it's just so accessible, it's it's really taken off. Well, what's also interesting, uh, again, not to get too in the weeds on it, you know, there used to be the fear uh, that if Pennsylvania had you know, bricks and mortar casinos. It was going to damage Atlantic City beyond repair, right? Now, the, the, a couple of casinos opened up, and AC had to you know, right itself and you know, close down some underperforming casinos. But now, of course, the risk to Pennsylvania and New Jersey is the fact that New York is uh, legalizing you know, the mobile wagering. Mobile wagering kind of evens the playing field because I don't have to get on a train and go to another state to do it. So I don't think these other states getting it really has any impact at all on New Jersey or Pennsylvania from the mobile side of things, right? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I mean, I think, you know, you figure, you know, was there 13 million people in Pennsylvania that now have access to it for the, for, for the large, uh, you know, percentage at least, um, you know, when, when you look at casino gambling, so there was kind of a, a you know, a, a specific group of people who would want to do that uh, or, or even explore it or, or use it as a hobby. Now, I mean, you have this this thing that is uh, it's fun, it's entertaining. People just want to try. I, I don't know that that's as much of a concern as far as losing clients to other states um, when it comes to uh, online gambling, just because there's just such a huge number of folks to to draw from. Right, Dan. I know you guys dealt with that in New Jersey as Pennsylvania, you know, started opening up. That was a big concern, right? 
It was. You know, there was worry about cannibalization. I mean, both within the state when we were talking about the racetracks offering um, sports wagering and the casinos wanting to keep it all there, and then when you have your neighboring state starting to offer it, and Josh is right, though. There's such a huge appetite for sports betting in the Northeast. Uh, I think that's also why we see such aggressive marketing. I mean, it's the reason that we're seeing those ads by the operators to say, you know, bet a dollar. If someone throws a pitch in tonight's game, you get a hundred bucks. And it's, you know, we're going to, they're going to market however they can to try to draw new clientele, retain existing clientele. Uh, you see the DraftKings and the FanDuel's of the world. I mean, they make it very simple to switch over from the fantasy sports platform right on over to the sports book with a click of a button. And so you, it's the marketing is what's driving a lot of um, the concern, but it's also stemming from the fact that as gambling expands around the country, Operators are fighting for that next dollar. And, you know, healthy competition's good, but at what expense and what cost is it going to now start to impact the problem gambler? Before I let you guys go, uh, final thing. I'll start with Josh. Five years from today, where are we at? Uh, epidemic? Have we figured it out? Uh, are we doing what we should be doing? Have we controlled uh, gambling addiction? Uh, or are we in a bad spot? Well, you know, the hope, Craig, is we can increase discussion and, and increase transparency and obviously increase awareness of services so that, so that hopefully, no, we're not in a, in a worse position than we are. Um, you know, I, I think there's, there's a, a tremendous amount of buy-in that we're starting to see, pardon the, the pun there, sure. but from, um, <laughs> you know, from the industry to, to see what they can do more. You know, if, if, if this isn't something that's in their culture from the get-go, it's going to be difficult to get that started, but it's something that we can work with, you know, and, and what we're starting to see now is more of a, of a conversation being had between the industry and folks like Dan and I to, to try to find some type of middle ground so that we can try to protect people, but still, you know, have, have it be something that, you know, the, the industry is happy with what they're able to, to generate, but without doing uh, nearly the amount of, of uh, you know, of, of harm that we've seen happen to so many folks. And, Dan, let me ask you, the you know, big story this past week was uh, Evander Kane, the San Jose Shark hockey player whose uh, yeah. strange wife accused him of, you know, wagering uh, on hockey games that he was playing in. He denies it you know, for full uh, disclosure on the story, but it did bring about, you know, the single biggest fear, you know, all the leagues have, that guys that are playing in games are now wagering on those games. Does that story, you think, have any impact at all on, on sports wagering? Absolutely. And it dovetails to the question you asked about five years out, because five years out, I envision where the leagues will be involved. They're going to be involved in, in recognizing this as a social cause, a social justice cause, a public health issue. And it's something they need to do. You know, we're, we're getting to the point where we're offering these opportunities at our fingertips in the stadiums, you know, the commercials that are online. It's becoming so prevalent and our young people are being exposed to this that we're grooming the next generation, two generations of gamblers. We don't want to make uh, the same mistakes that the U.K. has made in some of their missteps early on. We want to learn from what the U.K. has done, and we want to really engage the leagues. And I see five years from now, each of the major leagues as well as the other leagues at the collegiate level, we're getting programs into the schools. We're getting it out as PSAs. It's at the stadium. They're, the players are getting the education. The schools are getting the education, and we really need to start going back even into our middle school and high school, Craig. I mean, prevention starts at an early age, and we need to be talking to these kids early on because those who become professional athletes later on, if we're just talking about athletes, they carry that with them. And now you're giving young people 
a large sum of money, and they also have their friends that they bring with them from the neighborhood, from childhood, it, it, it's a recipe for potential disaster. We need to address the entire continuum. So, yes, I see the leagues getting involved in five years, and I wouldn't be surprised if the federal government even starts to start dedicating some funding down the road. Well, listen, I appreciate you guys, your guys' time as always. Josh, thank you for joining us. If I could ever return the favor, you got me. I'm happy to speak to uh, any of your uh, your folks or any uh, you know, uh, meetings that you guys might have. I appreciate you joining us today. I appreciate it, Craig. Thanks so much for having me. You got it. Dan, as always, appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to uh, the exciting things that you have coming up with Epic. I know it's going to be great, uh, and I look forward to being a part of that with you as well. And thanks, as always, for your time. Yeah, thank you, Craig. Likewise, you have a great day. Thanks, and, uh, and and by the way, Dan, I'll see you on the softball field later today. Uh, let's hope that you haven't been talking smack as far as your talent goes, because we're going to find out in a couple hours. Uh, let me tell you, you dodged me on MLB the show, so now we, you you can't dodge me here. So no, no, it's this could be in the flesh. We're going to find out what you got. Yep, in the <laughs> flesh. I'm ready. I'm bringing it. Bring Sounds it good. Thanks, guys. Fact. Thank Two you, Josh. Points. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate right. it. Take care, guys. Uh, Thanks, coming up next care. is uh, Joe Gillio uh, at 10 o'clock. Um, I think I'm off uh, next week. I'm pretty sure about that. So Evan's got uh, Joe Beningo joining him and a number of other people. Have a great rest of your weekend, and thank you for listening for a little bit. To Hello, my name is Craig here on WFAN.